Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you are encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from Pastor Kevin Miller. Grace to you and peace. That's Paul's kind of signature, uh, his, his signature phrase that he starts out a lot of his, his letters with. And we're calling this a field guide for faith. That's really kind of what we're after. In fact, you know what a field guide is. It's the thing that made Jack Hanna and Bear Grylls and Steve Irwin famous. It's them going out into the wild and chronicling all of their adventures and their survival techniques. In fact, in many ways, Grace to You and Peace, this series, is the Apostle Paul's survival techniques in the wild world of church planting and Christian living. We're going to hear from all of these different letters written to different people in different times and different churches, and we experience all kinds of different topics over these next few weeks. And you're going to hear from different voices, too. It'll all be from the letters of Paul, but you'll hear from me. Next week, you'll hear from Pastor Nate. You're going to hear from AJ, our Awakened Students Leader. Um, you're going to hear from all of us as over the next 12 weeks, we share from the, the heart of, of the Apostle Paul. Um, and lots of different topics, everything from leadership. Next weekend, Pastor Nate's preaching from Romans 13 on government. And I don't think there's any better time for us as Americans to hear what God's word has to say about our leadership, right? We need to be praying for them and what that looks like and pray for Pastor Nate as he comes up on teaching that next weekend. And we're going to talk about communion. We're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about unity in the church, all of that over these next 12 weeks. So I really think God's going to do something powerful in our lives as we, as we do this. Now, like I mentioned, grace to you and peace is Paul's kind of signature greeting. We have 13 of his letters that are included in the New Testament. And 11 of the 13 start with that exact phrase, grace to you and peace. The only two that are different are First and Second Timothy, and he adds in, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. There are lots of different theories on why that is. I kind of think it's because Paul was writing to Pastor Timothy, and Pastor Timothy, in addition to grace and peace, needed a whole lot of mercy as well, because being a pastor is a tough job. And so Paul, Paul introduces, what I love about Paul here is that whatever he's writing, whatever the tone is, even if, he's, uh, even if it's kind of a heavy, authoritative tone like the book of Galatians, he starts in with grace to you and peace because Paul understood the grace that is only found in Jesus Christ and the peace that comes from forgiveness that comes by grace. Grace to you and peace. And so today we start that message series with a message really about you and I. Here's the title of the message. I hope you'll take some notes and jot this down. Here's the title of the message. Out with the old. Come on, say what's next. In with the new. You guys already knew the title of my message. Look at that. Out with the old. In with the new. Because what I want us to understand today, I believe in Romans chapter 6, what we're going to see today. In fact, if you're reading along with us, you read this this morning already. What we're going to see today is that out with, the no, out with the old is a good start, but it's not quite enough. Because Jesus didn't die just only to forgive you of your past. He also died to give you a new life moving forward. And so we're going to see how that plays out 
for all of us today. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. We're just looking at four verses today. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. It's what Paul writes. He says, he, he starts with a question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, today is Baptism Sunday, great timing. All of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So it's interesting that Paul starts with these uh, couple questions here. Because Paul is preaching a gospel of free grace. That with this message comes some questions. Questions like we find in verse 1. He asks, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And if you think about it, it's a fair question based on the, the doctrine that he's preaching, based on even some of the statements he made at the end of chapter 5. If you're, in your, if you're in the book of Romans, you can look just a few verses prior. And he says in Romans 5 verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The, the idea being that there's no sin that can't be covered by God's grace. The idea being that the more you sin, the more of God's grace is poured out. So then that causes some questions. So should we sin more so that we can get more of God's grace? I don't know about you, but more of God's grace sounds great. And so should I just sin more? If that's the way that I get more of God's grace, I think some people think that it's God's job to forgive and my job to sin. So we'll just like keep doing our jobs and everybody's happy, right? More sin, more grace. And I think maybe the big question is, is this doctrine of free grace even safe? Because couldn't it promote this type of like, this type of thought that leads people further into sin so that le- as though the cross is kind of a license for us to sin. Well, if God's just going to give more grace, then I could just keep sinning. You understand what Paul's getting at here. He's a master communicator because what he's doing is he's under, he knows his audience and he's thinking ahead about the questions that they may ask. So he's asking the questions and answering them. That's what he's, he's, a, he's a master at that. So is this even free? I mean, if, 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 is this even safe for us to say that the gospel is, is free? I mean, if Black Friday has taught us anything, it's that discounts and giveaways turn us into monsters. You know what I mean? People getting trampled at JCPenney for a snow globe. You know, you're like, is this even, like, we've lost our minds. They're like, It's free. So, like, it's not worth the, the brawl in the middle of the Walmart aisle six, you know? Like, it's just not worth it. But free stuff, we just, we just lose our minds over free stuff. And so, so if we look at, at, at what Paul is asking here, this is, a, this is a fair question. 
But Paul has a very sharp response to that question. Did you notice it? Verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2, by no means. Certainly not. Depending on the translation you're reading, it may say, may it never be. In, In the original language, when Paul wrote it, it carried the idea of perish the thought. Like, get that idea out of your head. No way. Because here's his logic. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the logic. If I died to sin, it's illogical for me to continue to live in sin. Let, let Let me put it to you this way. Jesus freed you from sin. He didn't free you to sin. Does that make sense? Okay, I got three thoughts for you today that I hope you'll write down. Number one, let's start here. Salvation permanently changes our relationship to sin. Something changes forever at the moment of salvation. Our relationship to sin permanently changes. Now hear me on this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, which by the way, that's different than just knowing about Jesus. That's different than just agreeing that there is a God. I'm talking about people who have put their faith in Christ. And although we're not perfect, we're actively seeking to grow closer to him. That's what what being a Christian means, a follower of Jesus. And if you don't know where you stand on what you believe or religion or Jesus or church or whatever, that's okay. You don't have to have it all figured out to come here. We're just really glad you came. We're really glad you're joining us online. That's, we're just, you got to start somewhere. And and so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, listen, this is important for us to understand this. If there is a pattern of sin in your life that you know is wrong and choose to continue to do it anyway, this should raise some serious questions about your salvation. If there, l- listen, let me say it again. If there is unrepentant sin in your heart, here's what, here's what that means. I know that what I'm doing is wrong. I don't have any plans of changing it. That should raise some very serious questions about your faith. Because here's Paul's logic. The logic is, if I died to sin, I can't continue to live in it. But the, the logic works the other way. If I continue to live in it, maybe I didn't ever die to it. Does that make sense? So we gotta, we got to just follow this, this train of logic here because the issue that Paul is talking about here, the issue is not of a depleting supply of grace. There will always be enough grace. There's not a sin that you could do that was too far for God to forgive. The moment you confess sin, 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. No sin is too far. No sinner has gone too far. You may be really good at sinning, but you can never out-sin God's grace. That's good news, right? So we're not talking about, is there enough grace? Of course there is enough grace. We're not talking about, did Jesus' blood pay for my sin? Of course it, it did. However, the issue is when sin enters our lives and there's a pattern of unrepentant sin, the issue 
is the disconnect that it causes between us and God and the damage that it does to our souls. So the longer you live in a pattern of unrepentant sin, the further you get from God. Not because God walked away from you, because you're walking away from him. And the longer you live in that sin, the more damage you're doing to your soul. Paul is just saying here, it's not about whether or not there's enough grace. It's, it's the logic that if we died to sin, we just can't continue to live in it. And, and listen, I'm not talking about perfection. I want to just clarify that here. None of us have perfectly gotten it together. We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about progress, right? One of the songs we sang talked about how God is the artist and the potter or the canvas and the clay. We're, we're, in, we're in process. And only in heaven will we be a, a officially the completed work of art. And so we're in process right now. The idea is not that we're sinless in Christ, but the more we follow him, we sin less and less and less. That's the idea. And so salvation permanently changes our relationship to sin. Now, in the New Testament, for the early Christians especially, baptism was a really important sign, an outward symbol of their faith in Christ. In fact, when you read through the book of Acts, which we did earlier this year as a church, when you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice that many times when somebody first came to Christ, they would immediately get baptized. They would, it was basically like, oh, look, there's a puddle. Could I get baptized, you know, put my faith in Christ? I mean, it was immediate. It was so important for them because they recognized it was an outward symbol of the thing that God had just done in their hearts. It was like a, a, a sign of allegiance. And so Paul used this symbol of baptism that Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he said, go preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? He gave us this, this symbol of salvation, and so Paul used it to illustrate his point. Let's talk a little bit about baptism. Number two, would you write this down? Baptism is an external symbol of internal surrender. It's something, baptism is something we see on the outside, but that just symbolizes something that's already happened on the inside. Now, what's interesting is that baptizing, baptisms amidst a global pandemic have had to look a little bit different. So we had to make even some shifts here at Awaken. Uh, when, when I baptize people later on, um, I'll, I'll be wearing a mask. I'm going to sanitize my hands. We've even put some water purification in in the tank, which in hindsight, probably should have always been doing, okay? <laughs> we'll be doing that from here on out. But I'm the one that's normally in the water for, you know, us pastors are in the water for multiple, multiple services. So it's, it's kind of like brought some changes. Now, but none of the changes that we, ha we are doing now are quite as far as some that I've seen. Did you see the news story recently of the Catholic priest in Detroit who did squirt gun holy water. Have you seen this? I mean, face mask, face shield, gloves, squirt gun. Um, where do I sign up for the drive-by shooting? Like, I'm all, I'm all for... And, and not only has it changed the dispension of the holy water in the Catholic Church, 
They're even doing christenings different. Check this one out. <laughs> Holding up the baby. Oh, how do I get a job where I get to just squirt children with water? That's just... I mean, if you want me to do that, we don't even have to call it a baptism. I'll just, we'll just go out, I'll bring my su super soaker, and we'll just have fun with your baby, right? Just, like, hold her up. <laughs> now, I want to clarify, none of that's going to be happening here at Awaken. <laughs> On Monday later, maybe we could work something out, okay? But baptism in the Bible, the New Testament word for baptism means to immerse or overwhelm which I guess it could be argued that that baby being held up and squirted by the priest is probably being overwhelmed, right? <laughs> like, I guess you could make that argument. But the word for baptism means to immerse. This is why when, when we go baptize people here in just a little while, we're going to put them all the way under the water because, come on, we don't need a little sprinkling of Jesus in our lives. I got to go all the way under, right? We call it all-in baptism because I'm not kind of in for Jesus. I didn't let him just sprinkle some grace in my life. Come on, I need to drown in the grace of God. Anybody else? I need, I need to be under in the grace of God because, man, where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more. And so the, the baptism, the water serves as like the, the burial, the gravesite. And then the raising up is a visual of the resurrection. It's kind of like baptism is like an under new management sign for your soul. Right? Like have you ever driven by a restaurant that you swore, I'm never going back there I mean, the service is terrible. The floors were dirty. And then you see a sign under new management. What does it mean? It means same location, same name, same building, probably mostly the same food. But there's new leadership in place that's going to make the whole experience a whole lot better. Right? And isn't that what salvation is? Salvation is, uh, baptism is a sign for your soul that says, I'm under new management. The Holy Spirit, God himself, lives inside of me, and I may look the same on the outside, same name, same location, same city, same job, but everything's about to change. I'm under new management. And so this baptism helps us see that, right? Because salvation is soul-level, invisible work. But baptism helps us visualize, symbolically, what God has begun in our lives. So we began with the thought that Jesus saves us from our sin. But it's not just that. I want to highlight this in the third point. Would you write this down? Salvation doesn't just save us from, it saves us for. Now listen, let's take this even a step further. Of course we're saved through Christ from our sin, but it doesn't stop there. Because the act of salvation is invisible, but watch this. Not only is the act of salvation invisible, what it produces in our lives is very visible. It doesn't stay invisible. So salvation is invisible, but it begins to do things in our lives that become very visible. Salvation initiates what we would call, uh, a, a biblical term, we would call sanctification. Salvation initiates 
sanctification. It's just a big Bible word that means a cleaning process. It's the, the cleaning up. It's the out with the old and the in with the new. Salvation initiates that. So in a way, you could say, I've been saved, but I'm also being saved, right? It's, it's really both. There is at one point a turning, a surrender. That's the initial point of salvation. But then really for the rest of our lives, God is saving us from our world and ourselves. I've, I'm saved, but I'm also being saved. And I mean, and, and this would only make sense because surely you didn't think that you could put your faith in Christ and just everything in life would stay exactly the same, right? I mean, you can't die and resurrect and it not change your life. I mean, that's just, you were dead and resurrected. Now everything is going to begin to change here. And this is what verse 4 talks about, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, who we, that we too may walk in newness of life. That's the, that's the point. Get out the old so that we can bring in the new. It's the newness of life. And by the way, this newness of life changes everything. It changes how you are in relationships with other people. It changes how you forgive people. It, in fact, it even gives you salvation because you've received God's forgiveness will give you a desire to forgive other people, even when they've wronged you. Guess what? Even when they didn't ask for your forgiveness. You know, Jesus says to pray for your enemies and for those who persecute you. Come on, that's not a natural, logical thing for us to do. Our natural tendency is to hate the people who hate us. Jesus said, no, that's not the way the kingdom of grace works. We're going to pray for the people who hurt us, who persecute us. This is just one example of our, a life being under new management. God, God just recently spoke this to me, just the importance of praying for people who, at times, it feels like they're out to, to get us. I recently wrote down the name of somebody who just has really hurt me, and I wrote their name down in my prayer journal, and as my eyes glance over that, I pray for them. I don't, that, that's not like a, a natural thing for me to do, but I'm under new management now, right? Like, I do things differently because God's saving me from my own personal desires. This changes, your newness of life changes your finances, Newness of life changes your priorities. It gives you new perspective. It gives you hope through the pain. It changes all of these things. It's newness of all of your life. It's like Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul is writing to the, the church in Ephesus. He talks in chapter 2 about how we were dead in our sin, but we've, made, we've been made alive in Christ. And then he says in Ephesians 2.10 that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, it's interesting is that earlier on in chapter 2, he specifically said you're not saved by good works so that no one would boast. Because you all, we all know if I earned it, I'd boast about it, right? God made sure, oh, no, nobody could boast about this. This was all me, God says. You weren't saved by your good works, but it's interesting to think that you were saved for good works. Created in Christ Jesus 
for good works. This is the newness of life because salvation didn't only save us from something. It saved us for something, a whole newness of life. Of course, out with the old, but the point of out with the old is in with the new. There's newness of life that we're called to walk in. And so you were saved from addiction for healing and helping other people. We were saved from a wasted life for newness of life. We were saved from something for a greater purpose. So when we celebrate baptism, which, by the way, if you've never been to an awakened church, all-in baptism party, that's exactly what it is. We cheer. We've got music. It's exciting because that's exactly what the scene is. Think about it. A baptism, think about it this way. A baptism really is a series of funerals, you could say. But they end differently than all the other funerals we've ever been to. Most funerals are sad and solemn and end with a reception. Ours, baptism funerals, you could say, are exciting and celebratory, and they instead of ending with the reception, they end with the resurrection. That's great news, right? We, didn't, we don't just leave them in the water. We bring them back up, buried with Christ, raised to new life. And so, of course, we're in the crowd cheering, hands up, music playing, because this is a visual of the, the soul-level invisible work of salvation that God has begun in people's lives. It's not the act that saves us but it's the surrender that we get to visualize through baptism. So, again, let me just highlight. The religious ritual is not the point. Paul talks about baptism here, but the whole point of baptism is to just help us see what God is doing in somebody's soul. The whole point is newness of life, right? So the call to action today is not, let's do something religious, Because we got lots of religious options if that's what we really wanted to do. The call today is be resurrected. And let me let you in on a little secret about resurrection. The only people who need resurrection are dead people. And somebody's like, what are you implying about me? Well, Don't accuse me of implying it. Let me make it very clear, okay? (laughs) You are dead in your sin apart from Jesus Christ. So was I. I'm I'm not any better than you. Apart from Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. There's no hope unless there's a turning, unless there's a surrender to Jesus. So here's the, here's the best news of the whole day. Anybody who walked in here today, anybody who joined us online today may have come here to hear a message and you didn't even realize that you were dead in your sin. Can I tell you that by the grace of Jesus Christ, those who came dead in their sin can leave dead to their sin, walking in newness of life. Come on, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So here's the call to action. Every person has something to do. Christians, listen closely. If you are a follower of Jesus, I have a question for you. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? 
I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. We've covered that. I'm saying, are there areas of your life that you are refusing to surrender to Jesus? What's happened in your heart? What's going on in your life that you need to confess and turn from? Because if you've died to it, how could you continue to live in it? And again, the reverse logic, if you continue to live in it, have you really died to it? Now, if you don't know Jesus, first off, I'm so glad you're here. I really am. Awakened Church exists to awaken people who are far from Christ to new life in Christ. And new life in Christ, by the way, is not just like raising a hand and praying a prayer and then we're done. It's, it's the, that's the starting line. I'm talking about a whole new way of living, a, a whole new purpose and perspective and hope in life. If you don't know Jesus, here's the best news. I just shared it with you, that you are dead in your sin, but you can be dead to sin by believing in Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it so simple. The wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God sent his son. He demonstrates his love toward us by sending his own son. And he would die for us while we were still sinners. And if we would believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and has been raised from the dead, you'd be saved. In that moment, it's so simple. So today, this is our call to action. If you're a follower of Jesus, what are the areas of your life that you need to fully surrender? If you've died to it, then let's not continue to live in it. And if you don't know Jesus, that can change right now as you recognize your sin and recognize that Jesus is your only hope for salvation. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.